Demon Slayer, or Kimetsu no Yaiba as it's known in Japanese, continues to break records as it takes the world by storm. Not only did the animated film earn over 21 million in its North American opening weekend last spring, it also broke the record for biggest foreign language debut on its way to becoming the top grossing film in the world in 2020. But the records did not stop there, as Demon Slayer displaced Pokemon the movie to become the highest grossing anime film ever in the US, and pushed aside Miyazaki Hayao's Spirited Away to become both the highest grossing anime in the world and the highest grossing movie ever in Japan. But what is it about Demon Slayer that makes it such a worldwide phenomenon? Is it something about the story itself, its production quality, its animation style or music? Or is it simply because it was released during the pandemic when audiences were starved for new content? And finally, what does the success of Demon Slayer suggest about the future of the animation industry? I'm Tristan Gruno, and this is Japan on the Record. For more on the popularity of Demon Slayer and the future of anime, I talked with Dr. Patrick Galbraith, Associate Professor in the School of International Communication at Senshu University in Tokyo, Japan, and author of Otaku and the Struggle for Imagination in Japan, published by Duke University Press in 2019. I started by asking Dr. Galbraith to briefly introduce the plot of Demon Slayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the story, we have a young boy which is typically the case in shonen, shonen being just a name for boys, young boys. So we have a shonen hero whose name is Tanjiro. And Tanjiro um, lives in the north in the, the snowy country. And his family is slaughtered by a demon. Not only that, but he comes back to uh, confront the demon. He also finds that his sister, Nezuko, has been bitten. It's kind of like a vampire. So she's been bitten by the demon and she's now going to transform into one. And he tries to convince this demon slayer that comes to the village to kill his family and the remaining demon, i.e. Nezuko. He tries to convince the demon slayer that she's not a threat. And so the story is basically not only him becoming a demon slayer himself, but also protecting Nezuko from the blades of others who would kill her. So it's a kind of combination of the boy hero, Tanjiro, and his sister Nezuko, who follows him. She, she's carried inside of his backpack because she can't see, of course, the light. So she's inside of his backpack. He carries her. And in certain scenes, she pops out and helps him in his fights, right? But he's a kind of human plus demon family drama of people trying to overcome their trauma of being literally slaughtered by demons in the north before demon slayers could come help them. But for me, like what's even more significant than that in terms of storytelling is that Tanjiro, because, maybe because of Nezuko, maybe because of his, his general sympathy for, for human beings, he doesn't want to slaughter the demons. Like the name is Demon Slayer, but actually he does not want to kill them, right? He has to. But when he does so, the story really suggests to us how they were and how they are human, the same way Nezuko is, right? So when Tanjiro defeats the demons, it's not quite a happy moment. It's a moment of achievement as per the normal shonen battle manga structure. But literally, Tanjiro will weep when he does so because he just killed someone. He murdered a person, right? Who themselves were also part of this structure of violence, right? So I think Tanjiro's kind of naivete and his softness really makes a kind of new kind of shonen hero. He's very attractive, I think, in terms of his humanity and his combination with what should be the enemy, a demon. He literally carries a demon on his back. 
For those of us who aren't familiar with this manga or the anime movie, can you talk about why it's so popular? Is it just because of COVID and everybody wants something to watch in the theaters? Or, or what is it about the anime and manga that has made it so popular? Yeah, I think that's the question all of us are asking. Why Demon Slayer? Why now? I think one of the you know cul-de-sacs we go into is, well, okay, people wanted entertainment. They just watched it. That might be true for like the Netflix type entertainment, but it's not so, I think, for the Japanese situation. I think it's Demon Slayer became popular despite COVID, not because of. And I think it's significant to think about the context in which it was produced, right? So we're talking about a manga that was being serialized in Shonen Jump from 2016 to 2020, last year. So a short run, but in the major magazine, which has you know, a million or more weekly circulations, is very popular. Then we have it go on television, right? It's being distributed as animation, a kind of classic media mix, manga animation, anime. The real question is, why did Demon Slayer blow up? as much as it did in 2020. Because the thing for me is like, okay, look, we look at this field and it's very crowded, actually. We're in a kind of a moment of really wealth in the animation industry because of Netflix and the influence of foreign distribution. There's tons of stuff being produced. People are better off than ever before here on the production side. They're distributing overseas more easily than ever before. And yet Demon Slayer stands out. And the question for me is like, why does a 26-episode animation released relatively recently, right? We're talking about two years ago, 2019, only 26 episodes, not complete. Why does that new, very virgin shonen series succeed beyond any expectations, not only of shonen series, but animation, tokor, all of it, everything? It becomes the best-selling series of all time, right? That's really significant, I think. For me, I think we need to think about why this sort of run-of-the-mill Shonen Jump, Shonen Battle series, which has all the elements of every other series, young boy, faces trauma, grows up, becomes stronger with friends, battles demons, monster of the week, gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It's really on paper. It's really, really hackneyed almost, but in execution, it's anything but. And you mentioned that it's been dominating the best sellers list. For example, I saw that the top 25 sellers were basically all the different volumes of the it's, manga. It's, it's incredible, man. It's it's un, it's insane. Like, so I follow <laughs> idols mostly from, from, from our major work. I do a lot of stuff on Akihabara and idols, manga anime. And like, I have never seen a single title or a single group occupy more than the top 10. Demon Slayer occupied one through 22 in October 2020, right? The first time any manga has ever done that. And the Oricon chart, of course, that's not looking at digital distribution, which is even greater. Like, it's insane that a manga could do this again in such a short time. It only started serializing in 2016. It's, it's insane that it's so popular it's so fast. I think for many of us, even if we haven't seen the anime, one of the things that was most notable about it is that it recently surpassed the very famous Ghibli film Spirited Away or Sento Chihiro no Monogatari as the number one grossing film in Japanese cinematic history, which I mean is remarkable in itself, but also speaks to the popularity of anime as a genre in Japan, I think. Based on the description you just gave us, despite these two films both being animated, that's not to say that they're of the same genre. In fact, many of the themes are, are very different. So can you talk about some of the differences and expand on major stylistic developments that have taken place in anime and, and why anime continues to be so popular in Japan? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's a great question. So I think one of the things is we always look at the Miyazaki films as kind of the benchmark of Japanese animation. 
But the thing is, is of course, Miyazaki and his team, Takahata, others, began their work in television animation, Lupin, Heidi, other things, film series in the 1970s, if you're not familiar. But these series were television animation series, but Miyazaki himself has never really wanted to be known as an anime director, someone who does television animation, so-called limited animation, that for him is disgusting, he hates it. So he wants to do something filmic, something that is quality he said it many times, I want you to watch my films once a year, then never again, right? Don't stand at home, go outside, right? Don't become obsessed. He's quite conservative in that sense. He doesn't really want anime fandom to be attached to his films. Kimasa Yaiba, Demon Slayer, is exactly the opposite. It's all the things that he should hate. It's an animation, televised, weekly, 30 minutes, based on a serialized manga, weekly, very popular voice actors involved, great music. All these things that make it valuable beyond the original product and content, right, for him, the film, is what makes Kimetsu no Yaiba significant. And I think that's also another thing we should think about. Like, there's been some debates over the years of who will be the next Miyazaki. Is it going to be Shinkai Makoto? Is it going to be one of these other great directors who do films? And it turns out the one who actually beats him isn't Shinkai. It is actually a run-of-the-mill industrial manga to anime adaptation, and a short-lived one at that point. The animation media mix began in 2019. It's quite surprising that that is what overcomes him. I think the thing is, when we talk about Japanese animation, we often think about the films as kind of like standouts, exceptional versions of animation, because they have better budgets, they have more time, they have an Artura director, all this stuff makes us think that the films are better. What Kimis no Yaba reminds us is, no, 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 no. It's actually the content. It's the fandom. It's the media mix. It's the industrial context. And the people who want that content and support that content, they're the one who actually makes it successful. It's not the director. Not at all. I would suggest that the significance of Kimis no Yaba, Demon Slayer's success, is that it, it dethrones the myth of the Artura director, who's the only one who can produce new Japanese animation. In fact, new Japanese animation since the 1970s on television, on OVAs, in films, for a long time. But we focus so much on those particular directors and their sort of arturial work that we then miss what should be obvious. There's a lot of stuff out there that's really excellent, like Demon Slayer. You mentioned OVAs. Or what, what are OVAs? Yeah, so thanks for asking. So OVAs are a really important part of the history of Japanese animation because that is a, a form of animation that you pay for. OVA means original video animation. Sometimes they're called OAVs, original animation video. But basically, they're, they're forms of animation that the person who wants to watch it pays money. They put money down to get a disc or a VHS tape or a Betamax tape or a link Right? They pay for access to the content. In other words, the content itself is the product. So in terms of animation, the anime historian Jonathan Clements has, has argued that actually is the exception. Right? So for the most part of Japanese animation, this has always been at a deficit. Right, Not enough content being produced by fewer people with less money against an import market of American animation, which is better funded, better animated, already made its money back home. They're just dumping that content onto Japan after the World War uh, II. So because of that, they're always kind of behind the eight ball. They're always kind of trying to make up that deficit. 
so they're always kind of tying up with something else. So animation plus advertisement for chocolates, animation plus advertisement for you know highball spirits, animation plus we're going to sell toys, Gundam, right? Animation plus tourism, we're going to get paid by the tourism board. Something else was always behind the production. It wasn't the animation itself. OVA was the exception to that rule. But if you look at the, where we are now, we're actually kind of coming back to a sort of OVA model, like with Netflix and Amazon Prime, people actually do pay for access, Crunchyroll, of course. They pay for access, but they pay for access to premium content. And more premium content is being supported by more money from those distributors. So now suddenly we have a new model of anime being paid for by patrons, by sponsors, but they're not only in Japan by people buying OVAs, right, physically in the 1980s. They're paid for by hundreds of thousands of fans around the world who want to see that content and they pay for a subscription to see it so now suddenly the animation industry which has been behind for so many years like you know there was one statistic that really struck me as as important at one point in the history of animation we're talking about one-fourth of all animators one-fourth were below the poverty line in japan so is it any wonder why they sent their work to Vietnam or Thailand or South Korea or anywhere else, right? They could not afford to produce it here. Now, with this influx of funds due to things like Demon Slayer, like Your Name from Shinkai Mogoto, these kinds of things have become global successes. And now suddenly money is surging into the industry. And we get people like Ufo Table, the people who produce Demon Slayer. And the animation in Demon Slayer is, dear God, it's good. Not not only for a television animation, but for a filmic animation. It's incredible. Compare it to even Miyazaki's films. It's absolutely, absurdly great animation being produced within the structure of traditional Japanese anime. But you mentioned there, there's this kind of moment of wealth in anime with all of these subscription services like Netflix. But on the other hand, there is this eclipse of those autoristic figures like Miyazaki. And I mean, I wonder if if this is kind of a double-edged sword type thing, because you have with these subscription services kind of algorithmic production, right? Where it's yeah, yeah, producing yeah, yeah. directly to what the subscribers want, whether it's you know Hallmark Christmas movies or now it's you know anime-style productions. But we certainly have seen... Japanese anime becoming much more popular on places like Hulu, on Netflix, right? Attack on Titan is available. And I saw that in 2020 on Netflix, anime appeared in the top 10 most watch list for over 100 countries in the world. So can you talk about you know, why is anime growing so much? Why are we seeing this wealth of anime right now? Yeah, I think it's a great question. So my, my good friend Roland Keltz has argued, uh, so has Susan Napier over the years, that why animation stands out is not because it's you know different, because in fact, it offers new content, right? So if you look at something like Demon Slayer, I look at the television offerings, live action offerings, and not only overseas, but also Japan. I look at the offerings, and I don't see anything quite like it. So of course, it's consistent in the Japanese shonen genre domestically. But when you put that in front of someone who's never seen a shonen series, never seen Dragon Ball, never seen Naruto, never seen One Piece, they're like, holy mackerel, that is a really, really intense show. It's so emotional, it's so exciting. The sound and, and visuals and voice acting all together create this incredible scene that moves me to jump out of my seat and scream aloud. That kind of stuff doesn't happen that often, I think, for a lot of people these days. I think we, we wish it did. 
you look at something like, you know, Star Trek or Star Wars, things we used to think of as kind of like hype media. Maybe it was once that way. But now I think things like this that are coming out are better at capturing some kind of fundamental emotion that really moves us to respond in a way that unexpectedly just grabs us. I think the reason why is because we just haven't seen things quite like this before. I think one reason why Kimetsu no Yaiba is so significant and so popular is because it really, it takes that shonen formula, which has been perfected for decades now in Japan, through the sort of infrastructure of shonen jump, toy animation, all of this stuff that injects money into the industry. That structure has then perfected a particular kind of storytelling, which is the shonen battle genre. But I think within shonen jump, no one does motion better than Kimetsu no Yaiba. They've really amped up the emotional scenes, right? There's an incredible amount of buildup. When Tanjiro has to face a challenge, the music, the visuals, the vocal acting comes together in this incredible moment that overcomes everything you thought was possible, which is the same with the film. People ask me, why should a shonen anime film be this successful? Should it not be a direct-to-video film the same way that many of these shonen series have been, like Naruto and One Piece and Dragon Ball? Shouldn't it be the same? It's not really significant the same way that Miyazaki's films are significant. I disagree entirely. If you watch this film in the theater, what you're going to find is that every single action scene, from the minute it begins, every action scene is more incredible than the last. You say, oh my God, you full table, could you do better? And they do. Could you make me more involved, more excited, more hyped than you have in the last 20 minutes. And they do. If that is not the definition of a cinematic experience, I don't know what is. This is the perfect example of a film that should be watched in theaters, which is why I think the fans, despite COVID, went out there and watched it. They knew it was going to be great. It was incredible. They knew it was incredible. They told their friends it was incredible. They went back and watched it again and again and again and again and again. And that kind of draw of quality content and fandom propping up, promoting quality content, just blew the system up. It should not have happened. Miyazaki should be the greatest director in Japan. And yet, Kimetsu no Yaiba, Mugen no Train, Infinite Train, now is number one film. Guess what? That's the power of fandom in Japan. I'm Tristan Gruno, visiting assistant professor of modern Japanese history at Pacific University. And this has been another episode of Japan on the Record. Stay tuned for future episodes to hear scholars of Japan bring their expertise to bear on issues in the news. Thank you for listening.